Amen. Well, we're going to be in the book of Philippians again today, uh, as we have been the last few weeks. And uh, as I invite you to turn there, we're going to be in chapter 3 today uh, of this letter. Uh, just a quick history lesson. Uh, the gospel, uh, that means the, the good news of Jesus Christ, uh, the message that Jesus uh, is the Savior of the world, uh, that message uh, was originally, uh, primarily, first of all, uh, for Israelites, for Jewish people, for the Jews. Uh, salvation was first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. So, Paul, who is writing this letter to the church at Philippi, uh, he is a Jewish person, a Hebrew, an Israelite, and, and he is writing uh, to a bunch of non-Jews, to Gentiles. And, and he is telling them what it means to experience uh, salvation in Jesus Christ. And, and so as you think about kind of this letter uh, and what Paul is doing, who is this kind of major Hebrew figure, Israelite, uh, and he's writing to the people that historically Jewish people have not really cared for, and yet he's telling them the greatest news ever uh, in this. And, and as he does that, he reminds these people who have, who have experienced uh, a relationship with Jesus Christ, he's reminding them to be joyful, to, to be excited, to rejoice uh, in the Lord. This is a theme throughout the book. We even put it in our subtitle, uh, Finding Joy. Uh, he mentions it at least eight times throughout this book, uh, this letter uh, that he writes to the church. And, and as I think about the idea of joy, uh, joy uh, is not something that's dependent on our circumstances. It, it actually is rooted in our relationship with Jesus Christ. And sometimes joy is pretty easy. It's good to, to understand and to be satisfied and, and kind of how life is going, circumstances are going okay. And even if they're not going so great, we sort of cling uh, to the power and the, the trust and the dependence on God and it's all good. Other times it's difficult uh, to experience joy. Maybe when uh, your assignments at school are piling up or maybe you had car trouble uh, this morning or all week uh, this last week. Uh, maybe your kids are misbehaving. Uh, all the time. Uh, maybe you have financial or health struggles. Uh, sometimes it's difficult to have joy. But Paul, uh, as I remind you, is under house arrest right now. Uh, he's chained probably to a Roman soldier as he writes this letter. Uh, he is not in the greatest of circumstances. And yet he's reminding the people that he's writing to, hey, rejoice. Ha have a life defined by joy no matter what the circumstances are. Because what you've gained in Christ is so much better than anything else. And he goes on to explain what that means uh, to understand what it means to gain when we have Jesus. And all the stuff that we lose doesn't really amount to much in comparison to the, the mighty grace and love of Jesus. So if you've got a Bible, turn with me, Philippians chapter 3. We're going to read the first 11 verses. We're going to start in verse 1, and it says this. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. You know, I, I've thought about on occasion uh, preaching the same sermon five weeks in a row. Because that's kind of what he's getting at here. He's saying the same thing over and over again. 
and just to see if they're paying attention. So that would be fun for me, not for you, but for me, uh, it'd be fun to do that. Um, But he says this, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, circumcision who, have, who worship by the Spirit of Christ and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law of Pharisee, he's giving us his resume. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, And count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and I may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. There's a lot jam-packed in these 11 verses. But there were folks uh, in Philippi, in this city, uh, that were joy thieves. They, they were trying to steal the joy of these young Christians. And, and these joy thieves, Paul calls them dogs. Uh, he insults them by calling them dogs. Now, uh, What you may not know is that in the ancient world, uh, Jewish people often called Gentiles, that is non-Jews, they called them dogs as a put down. And so Paul is turning the tables on these Jewish leaders by calling them dogs. He says, "Don't, don't listen to these dogs. He's writing to Gentiles saying, don't pay attention to these Jews who are trying to get you to do things you should not do. One of the main things that these Jews, who we believe had a relationship with Christ, but they were called Judaizers, because what they believed was that accepting Jesus Christ was awesome and amazing, but it wasn't the only thing you needed to do. These Judaizers thought you had to accept Christ and continue to follow the Old Testament law. So it was faith plus a bunch of religious works and following the law. Well, Paul is reacting against that. He's telling the church at Philippi, no, this is false doctrine. False doctrine. What they wanted these Gentiles to do is to get circumcised as an act of their following the law of of true understanding. And Paul actually makes a vivid, cruel locker room joke here. He, He calls them mutilators of the flesh. And he's talking about a very specific part of the anatomy that we would say kind of in locker rooms. And it's a crude joke, but don't say God doesn't have a sense of humor. And he says, no, this is not what you should do. 
No, we don't take confidence in the flesh. We take confidence in one thing, the Spirit of God. We take confidence in one thing, the glory of Jesus Christ. It's not about Jesus plus rule following. No, it's Jesus by faith alone. By faith alone. Our glory is not in our actions, not in our our religious acts. No, our glory is in Christ Jesus. And it's in 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 our faith in him that makes us whole and righteous. It's the thing in which we can take confidence And so as you think about your own spiritual journey, it's not about how great you are at following rules. It's not about how many times you've attended church. It's not about how often you do certain things. No, God is looking for heart change. That's what Paul is getting at. These Judaizers Judaizers want heart change plus rule following. Like you still got to be like the old way. No, he doesn't want religious acts. God wants heart change. God wants our heart. He wants all of our life not just our activity. And so he says that those who have faith in Christ are, have experienced the true circumcision, the circumcision of the heart. And so they worship in spirit and in truth. They glory in Jesus. They boast in Jesus alone. And they don't take any confidence in the flesh. And even if you did, you're not good enough. And, that, and Paul kind of has a little you know, humble brag here uh, in this moment. He's like, some of you are pretty good. Like some of you follow the rules pretty well, but not as good as me. I've done it better. I'm better than you is what he says. I have more. I have more confidence in my religious acts than you do. And he lists seven things that he, t- he took confidence in in the flesh. And he lists those. He starts out with his birth and then the privileges that he has. He mentions four things regarding his birth, that he was circumcised on the eighth day. He did exactly the right thing at his parents, uh, did the right thing at the right time. He's an Israelite. Oh, by the way, I'm part of God's chosen people. And not only that, but I'm a Benjamite, the house of Benjamin. And if you remember your Old Testament history, uh, Jewish people, Uh, That's the house of Joseph, you know, the guy with all the coat of many colors. That's his tribe. Like, you think you're better than me? No, I'm a Benjamite. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. He says, I am the greatest Hebrew you could imagine. Like, I'm the guy. I'm the man. Because of my birth, because of my background, because of where I was born, because of who I was born to. And then, to add to my resume, let me tell you about who I am now. Now, I'm a Pharisee, or I was a Pharisee. I was. Righteous, the ultimate rule follower. Got any rule followers in the room? Don't raise your hand, because then some people will make fun of you. I won't, but some people will. Like, firstborns particularly, uh, you're usually rule followers, but, but we, make fun, we, we, we look down upon the Pharisees a lot because they were rule followers and ultimately they uh, sent Jesus to die. But these guys knew the Old Testament law better than everyone. 
They knew exactly how to live the right way in their mind to honor God. And Paul's saying, I was the cream of the crop at doing everything I could to live in a way that honored God how I understood it. Think, think about how well you follow rules. Even rules that you think don't matter. Because there are some rules in the Old Testament that don't matter. But Paul followed them all. Just think about, just think about it last week. How many rules did you break last week? How many of you drove on 518 this week? Anybody, just everybody raise your hand. How many of you drove on 518? This road right here, 518. What's the speed limit in Friendswood on 518? 30 miles an hour. 30 miles an hour. Everybody is a rule breaker. <laughs> Everybody. A chief among sinners right here. Like, it, it's hard for us to grasp this, but this is important as Paul helps us understand, like, hey, I, I was as righteous as you could get. And not only that, I, I had zeal. I had excitement. I, I was sold out for the Jewish life. So much so that I persecuted the church. I, I tried to get rid of this heretical sect called Christianity. I did everything I could to keep my group pure. And then when it came to my ongoing relationships with people in my sphere of influence, the people that I hung out with, I was blameless, blameless. I was externally flawless. Nobody could come to me and say, Paul, I've got something against you. Nobody could say that. Nobody could say, Paul, you know what? You, you shouldn't have said that the other day. That was way out of line. Paul, how you treated that other Pharisee mm, in front of those guys no, he, none of that. Blameless. And so he's like, look, guys, if anyone's going to write to you about what it means to be religiously perfect, I, I'm the guy. I'm the guy. But in Acts chapter 9, all of that changed for Paul. One of our members after the first service said, hey, just a little reminder, like, God sent Jesus directly to Paul, knocked him off a horse to get his attention. Now, like, you might be perfect and good, but did God come and speak to you and knock you off a horse and make you blind because you were so off base? No, but he did that to Saul, whose name is now Paul. That's his Gentile name. Like, that, that's crazy to think this guy who was so perfect, according to the law, that God himself comes and speaks to him, knocks him off the horse, blinds him and says, hey, quit persecuting me. And changes his life. And so he says, now, because of that experience, all that stuff I just told you, those seven things, they are out the window. They don't matter. They're garbage, rubbish. One translation is dung. That's how worthless all of those things are in comparison to what I've gained in knowing Jesus Christ. I count all of that loss. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter 
how perfect of a, a Jewish follower I was. I count all of that as loss compared to the sake of Christ, he says there at the end of verse 7. Everything is a loss because of the surpassing worth, how valuable it is to him to know Jesus Christ. And so he talks about what that gain is. All those things that he lost don't even compare to what he's gained. So let's think about what we gain when we receive the salvation of Jesus Christ. When we receive the gift of salvation by Christ, what do we get? What do we gain when we come to faith in Christ? Well, Paul says we get the knowledge of Christ. We, we get to know Jesus. I, I get to know the Savior of the world, the creator of the world personally, intimately. I have a relationship with him. It's not some distant, foreign, strange, kind of out there in the universe God. No, he's personal. He knows me. And I know him. And I get to know and to experience what he knows. And what it means to, to follow after him. I get to know my Savior. But I also get to experience the righteousness of Christ, as Paul says. You know, Paul had his own righteousness. He tried to be perfect on his own by being a Pharisee, by fulfilling the law, which there are 613 laws in the Old Testament. That's crazy. Like most of us have trouble with one or two. 613 that they had to obey. And then once a year they would have an atonement, a, an animal would be sacrificed to cover their sin from the previous year. And all that changed with Jesus. That now the righteousness that I have is not because of some animal that was sacrificed, not because I walked perfectly. No, because when God sees me, he sees Jesus Christ, the one who gave his life for me, the one who shed his own blood as a sacrifice, as a substitute for me. Jesus is our substitute on the cross. And so when God sees us, he sees Jesus. That's the righteousness of Christ. That means we have a right relationship with God because of Jesus Christ. That I'm blameless before God, not blameless in my own works. No, blameless because I have a relationship with the perfect son of God, Jesus Christ. And so I'm blameless before God because of Jesus. And then I get this, I get the fellowship of Christ I get to actually have a relationship. I get to have a, a, a friendship with God. I get to experience what it means to, to have an ongoing relationship with my heavenly Father. And, and he talks about two very specific things related to this fellowship. One of them uh, most of us want. The other one most of us don't want. He, he talks about the fellowship of Christ, and in that we get the power of God, the power of the resurrection. Not, not our own power, because most of us, uh, though you might be strong like me, <laughs> um, you don't have a great power. We all have a little power. We don't have power on our own. No, I have the ability now. Because of my relationship with Christ, because I have the righteousness of Christ, I have the power to overcome sin and death. I have the power to do that. Resurrection power. Dylan, many of you know our worship leader today, Dylan is in the funeral industry, and, and Dylan has never experienced someone who was dead coming back to life. That's never happened in a funeral. 
Never happened. But it happened to Jesus. He, he conquered death. He beat death so that you and I could also conquer sin and death. And most of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we rely too often on my power, my strength, my righteousness. And we don't surrender ourselves to the righteousness of Christ to experience his power, to overcome sin, to live with purpose, to share the truth of the gospel, to resist temptation, right? Jesus gives you the power, you have it living in you if you have a relationship with Christ, to resist temptation, to love unconditionally, to meet needs when no one else is meeting needs, to change the culture around you. You have the power to change the culture around you. Maybe not the culture of 300 million, 350 million Americans, but maybe the 26 people in your physics class, or maybe the, the eight people that you sit near in your office, or maybe the 10 people surrounding you in your neighborhood, or maybe your family members that don't know Christ. You have the power to change the culture around you. We, we, we all want more power. But then he, he mentions something else that the fellowship with Christ means. It also means that we're going to experience suffering. That to grasp the reality of being like Christ means we have the power of the resurrection, but we also experience the suffering of what it means to live in a world that is against us. To know him and to understand his struggle. And Paul counts that as a gain. We, we live in a, in a culture, even though we live in a great country that offers us tremendous freedom of worship, I'm, I'm so thankful for that, that we live in a country that offers us great freedom, but the reality is our world is becoming increasingly hostile to Christianity. That there's no two ways about it. And though we in this season are probably in a good place, in a good community, in a good region, there's still those moments when we stand for our faith and we stand for righteousness and we stand for the things that are godly and true, there will be folks who are against us. But it's in those moments where we're more like Christ. And so we get to share in his power. We have the power of the resurrection, but we also get to experience the suffering to share in his suffering. And when we do that, we become more like him. And so as you think about your own life today, I, I, I always uh, appreciate when I meet new people. Because when I meet new people, often I don't tell them I'm a pastor. I'm a pastor right away. Because it makes the conversation a lot more fun for me. It's a lot more fun for me. Because usually I get their real personality first. And then when the pastor card gets played, often it switches immediately. It switches immediately to their religious resume. Almost without fail, they, they tell me about their religious history. And, and in, re, in truth, I, I'm thankful for that because at least in that moment, the person I'm talking to is thinking about their spiritual journey. That's important. I, I hope people will think about their spiritual journey often 
right? We're, we're supposed to set our mind on things above. We're supposed to have the mind of Christ. So we need to be thinking about our own spiritual journey and where am I on my spiritual journey? And so I love talking to those folks, particularly those who are not really engaged in the life of a church, who, who may or may not have a relationship with Christ, because usually they talk about how they went to youth camp in 1986 Or uh, their uncle, cousin, step-grandfather <laughs> is a deacon in a church somewhere, whether Catholic or Protestant. And they're altar boy. Or, um, or, or my favorite um, is they tell me all the things they know about God in that moment. And... and and actually, that's a blessing. That's a blessing. Because perhaps in that moment, that's the first time they're thinking about their spiritual life. It's the first time they're thinking, maybe in weeks or months or years. And so as you and I are, are people of God, as we are people who, are, who have fellowship with Christ because we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Rather than in that moment telling them how wonderful and how awesome you are or your church is, and for me, I could say, well, hey, uh, like Paul probably could have easily said to these guys, I know the Old Testament better than you. He, he could have bragged a lot, like, I know the Bible better than you. I know what it means to follow the law better than you. I wear the right church clothes to synagogue for him. I wear the right clothes to synagogue. I know what feast is when and why and how. I give the exact right amount of money to church, to synagogue, to the Lord. I pray this many times a day. Or you know what? My family has been in this church for five generations. Nobody said that in this church, so don't, don't get offended. But how easy is it for us or for others to just begin to list our religious resume? The struggle is, too often I get in conversation and our family's been guilty of this as well. We focus more on not the things that have to do with God, but the things that have to do with the world. I focus more on my accomplishments as a parent in my career. I talk about all the ways I spend my time, energy, and resources that really don't have anything to do with spiritual things. My grades, my awesome family, because you see them on social media all the time, how awesome they are, never imperfect. Athletics, band, cheer, go down the list. Career advancement, hobbies, teenagers, TikTok, recreation. All, all the things that we fill our lives that we think are gains. Pa Paul just happened to be a religious gainer. But, but sometimes I think we've traded our religious gains for worldly gains. And Paul's speaking to us as well. That everything, 
everything in my life I count as loss in comparison to surpassing knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so my question for us, several questions for us as we conclude today, is first, is your relationship with Jesus Christ the most valuable thing to you? Is it the most valuable thing to you? Paul gave up every prestige, every position, every place he could have. He gave it all up and became an enemy of not just the state, but also of religion for the sake of Christ. It was the most valuable thing to him. And then as you think about the things that you value I think about this idea of rejoicing that he launches here, and we're going to look at it again in a couple of weeks, about rejoicing. Are are you as enthusiastic about your spiritual growth as you are about other goals in your life? Uh, that, That one kind of hit me between the eyes, not just for you, for David. Like, are we as enthusiastic about knowing Jesus Experiencing the righteousness of Jesus, fellowship with Jesus, connecting with God in a way that, that we get to experience actually the power of the resurrection. Like, what a deal. A- am I as enthusiastic about that as I am about other goals that I have in life? Do you have spiritual goals? Do you have an idea of where you want to go spiritually? And then as he is sharing with these Gentile believers Do you tell others what it means to have gained Christ? That's why I love to hold the sort of the pastor card back a little bit so that in those moments, I I can help people say, you know what, it's great that we serve and do all kinds of things. But the beauty of what I do is Jesus. Jesus, I want to tell others about what it means to have gained Christ. And I want to rejoice in things that matter. And so my hope for us today is that we would be a people of rejoicing. We would be a a, a people of power. That we would be a people who are not just friends with each other and friends uh, uh, outside of this place, but that we would be friends here because we want to fellowship with Christ. That we want to know the power of his resurrection. We want to experience the beauty of Jesus Christ. And so whether you've been in church for 55, 60, 70 years, or this is your first time to step into the doors of a church, Jesus loves you. He wants a relationship with you. He wants you to experience the fullness of all that he has in life, not just in this life, but for eternity. And so let's be a people who rejoice in that. Will you pray with me?